My name is Rahana and I'm the founder of Mummy Yoga and your host on the Mummy Diaries podcast. The Mummy Diaries are heart-to-heart cafe-style conversations about our journey into becoming mothers. We will bring you all the wisdom from their village. The mothers who have walked the path before us, the professionals who spend their waking hours caring deeply about our issues, problems and our needs during these transformative times when we are thinking about starting a family or are pregnant or being a new mother. So grab coffee and biscuit and put your feet up or put your baby in a sling, grab your headphones and enjoy this episode on a nap walk. This is a special episode of The Mummy Diaries. In this episode, we're talking to a passionate believer of gentle and responsive parenting, writer, speaker, and coach, Lindsay Hookway. If you haven't come across Lindsay's fabulous work, then I urge you to have a look at her website and her Instagram page and go read her books. I'll link all of those in the episode notes. Lindsay has worked with infants, children and families for almost 20 years. And being a pediatric nurse, a lactation consultant, she knows the ins and outs of new parenting. And so I grabbed my opportunity to spend a bit of time with her exploring the concerns we may have about baby sleep and as Lindsay puts it your family sleep and I love that because baby sleep is not just baby sleep it's all our sleep as well. Um, Lindsay I wanted to I mean I'm fascinated by the you know more than anything the way you speak to parents and this is just the kind of the the kind of people we want to rely on in terms of you know new parenthood all this stuff coming out of uh, all the new parents ears about how not to do everything and the reason I really wanted to speak to you is you are among the handful of you know voices that talk about what what to forget and not worry about and and just do what what is actually occurring to them in the moment yeah I really, really uh, resonate with that philosophy. I mean, I have a badge called Winging It, <laughs> parenting style, Winging It. And I think it's it's amazing that uh, the evidence also points towards this kind of Winging It attitude, doesn't it? Yes, very much so. And actually, um, it's it's really quite a modern construct to try and create rules and guidelines and... Um, strict kind of schedules and all of that stuff it, it it's not it's not particularly evidence-based and it's also um it, it, it it's not the normal way to parent either and how how modern is this way i mean when did we start changing to these kind of strict schedules well 
I mean, when I say modern, I'm probably talking a couple of hundred years. Um, And actually, it it kind of goes along with a lot of the other things that we've attempted to make really scientific and medical in um, the birthing and perinatal and early parenting world, such as breastfeeding and um, birthing and um, you know how to care for um, babies all of that stuff it, it's all kind of come from around the same era um, and, and essentially it came from a, a, a load of people who were saying um, you know really we can't rely on instinct that's not a very scientific way to parent that's not a very robust way to care for the next generation so we've got to kind of get a few rules and guidelines in here to make sure that um uh, you know that babies are safe and cared for and and of, of course the context was that you know infant mortality um 200 years ago was pretty flipping high so in fairness to them yeah they probably were coming um from the right place and and that was a a place of having you know, infant best interests at heart and and wanting to address infant mortality. And they didn't know um, everything um, that contributed to infant mortality and illness and all of that. So that, so in some ways they were kind of grasping at straws. So, for example, they used to think that teething was a major cause of um, infant mortality. And of course, we know better now, but, but yeah. they didn't necessarily have RCTs, randomised controlled trials and... Um, yeah you know large data sets and social media polls and all that kind of stuff so you know I I do have some sympathy um, for people who were trying to make things better but inadvertently they ended up um, causing parents to question their instinct and saying oh my goodness oh okay so that gut feeling I've got oh okay that's that's wrong then right okay I better rely on what you know a man in a white coat says or I better um, look at this um, you know, very important sounding doctor's um, advice, or I'd better follow this textbook or whatever. Who am I to kind of rely on something that it just feels right, but it probably isn't. And I need to question myself. And around that same time, you're talking about parenting doubt, and you're talking about the rise of so-called experts. Yeah. All of that is just a confluence around um, eventually coming down this route where we find ourselves in a place where I have noticed among my my community that sometimes it's it's paralysis, you know, because you've got so-called expert talking on one extreme and then they, there is another person almost always, no matter what the theme is, at the other extreme. Yeah. Parents are like, we don't know what to do. And in that there is the self-doubt and that kills the instinct doesn't yes it? yeah absolutely um and you know I've, I've never yet met a parent really who doesn't want the best for their child they are just doing their best and it we make it hard for people when we can't all agree um and of course I'm not saying that everybody should agree on um everything because you know we, we all are entitled to parent in the way that feels right for us but on the other hand it does add to the noise um, and yeah. it's quite difficult to think and listen to your gut when there's all that noise going on. Um, and, and of course, we're not just instinctive beings. We also, um, we also have to learn and we, we learn partially by, you know, socially observed behaviours. And if we don't see people, um, you know, behaving or parenting in a particular way, 
be quite difficult to to marry that up with our instinct and then also what we're reading as well it just adds to a lot of confusion doesn't it yeah i mean i i recollect a post you wrote about um swimming against the stream mm. so poignant in terms of you know finding yourself at the top of the slide and saying actually i've just realized i'm going to come down the stairs yeah and i remember reading that and thinking this if you saw a young child do it you know i mean you 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 wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily think that they did a you know dramatic u-turn but an adult especially if it's professional or a parent it feels like something you just can't take back and you just can't relax and say oh oops i got that wrong let's try again yeah it seems like this whole space is very hard for new parents to even try new things so that they can take a u-turn yeah exactly and i think our culture sets us up to fail like this because we're sort of led to believe that getting it right first time is is the way forward you know if you fail your driving test it's not exactly a badge of honor is it and um i remember also being at a theme park one time and there was a really really big scary coaster and an adult um came backwards out of the queue they obviously got to the front of the queue and saw all the loop the loops and 360s and they double backed and actually the mocking that this person got and people were kind of making their arms um, into like chicken wings and making chicken clucking noises and things and actually that's that's kind of how cruel our culture is sometimes when you do want to do something that's um, a bit different and against the tide and and conversely there are also people in that queue probably who are thinking oh gosh I wish I had the guts to turn around um, because I don't really want to go down this roller coaster either but now I'm committed I'm just going to have to go with the flow I'm going to you know the people pushing behind me and everyone's going to laugh at me and so you you end up with this ridiculous situation where actually a lot of people if we take it back to sleep they don't want to sleep train but everybody else is doing it so they feel themselves carried along with the tide or else fear being mocked um, for being a martyr or for you know um, being stupid or for doing the wrong thing or for not listening to the right advice whatever that might be my famous line I, I mean I just love this I mean in, in a kind of a perverse way the roar for your back yes now being a foreigner I didn't know what it was yeah yeah oh my god you are future proofing any kind of backtracking of of parents so if parents didn't do because they don't know the future so if you didn't do what the things you're meant to do now in the present you're creating this rod which you you have no idea the, the people who are telling you know what it is how bad it is you don't want that it, I just thought that was so scary it is how parents absolutely like can I have any confidence if you tell them that actually what you're doing right now is very bad for the future you don't even know yes and and there's so much of that about so so many people um uh, contact me and say actually I'm coping right now I'm quite enjoying bed sharing and I really love feeding my baby to sleep but I'm worried about what's going to happen in the future um it's really yeah. it's a really common thing for people to contact me about and of, of course I say don't worry about it it's fine if it's not a problem now then honestly you're just going to ruin your own joy and your own experience for the next few months why you worry about it if it becomes a problem at any point 
then yeah, let's talk. But let's not do something now um, just in case it's problematic later. That's that, that, that's just um, that's just our society scaremongering and spreading fear and lies, isn't it? Yeah, I mean this uh, this concept of you need to teach a baby to sleep mm. or you know babies must learn how to sleep like they learn how to hold a spoon yeah how true truth is there in this idea well i think it depends what people mean when they say teach a baby to sleep because of course sleep's just a normal bodily function all all living creatures will will fall asleep and um, that's managed by the brain you can't actually outthink your your own brain um (laughs) sleep pressure uh, builds in the brain so it's a chemical called adenosine and it builds up with the amount of time that you spend awake but it's very variable for each individual so some babies and adults for that matter need more or less sleep than others some people can tolerate being awake for a much longer period of time so for example I only need five or six hours sleep per night um, to feel completely fully functional whereas other people might need eight or nine and without eight or nine hours they really feel quite wrecked so it's very very variable so you you can't actually teach children to be sleepy at the right time and and fall asleep because it's just a a normal homeostatic bodily function however what they also mean when they say teach a baby to fall asleep is they usually are referring to the idea that you can teach a baby to fall asleep um, in a particular way and and usually the subtext of that is teach a baby to fall asleep independently without needing you. And that's a whole other conversation um, because actually it's a minefield out there when you think about um, trying to teach babies to not need their parents when that's not biologically and developmentally normal um, for them to be independent of their parents uh, and until they develop the, the um, developmental maturity um, to be more independent and and to be able to regulate their own emotional states and their autonomic state and all of that so it's a minefield yeah and then sleep can be i mean in a way it's it's a scary place for babies even small children it's a you know we we retract in a dark place it's when you open your eyes it can be a bit scary and I think for small children and infants to find themselves alone in what could be like, you know, just a cold comparatively from a parent's body, a cold cot mm. or something like that, can be quite a big thing that we adults might not appreciate how scary that place of being alone can be. Yeah, absolutely. And, and sleep is a time of um, being separate. You know, you're not consciously aware of other people around you when you're asleep and and for for older children so children who are a bit more aware about what bedtime means it does signify you know the end of the day the end of fun um you know it it signifies a time of separation from um other people and kind of flying solo and so yes i absolutely agree i think sleep can be quite a daunting prospect for a lot of little ones and that's why they often look for something familiar whether that's a breast whether that's a pair of warm arms whether that's a familiar face Um, for me it's never any surprise that infants sleep better when they're in close bodily contact with a a nurturing responsive adult human because ultimately we're mammals and 
if you look at any mammal around the world, until the um, the baby mammal is um, completely independent, they sleep in a kind of nested environment with their parent um, and their other siblings, if they have any. So for me, it's never a surprise when babies prefer to be with their parents because they're just behaving like every other mammal on the planet. Yeah, and uh, and as you said very early on, that um, these ideas of separating the infant comes from, um, you know, well-intentioned reducing infant mortality and, you know, all of yes. those unsafe practices of co-sleeping yeah. which could have caused more harm. Mm-hmm. So even though these things are ingrained in our in our culture in terms of letting children uh, or infants sleep alone but we have to recognize that uh, we we understand sleep architecture a lot better to know that infant sleeping alone is not developmentally in their best interest either no absolutely and and of course you know when we're talking about bed sharing we have to you know be really mindful um, that, that there are some unsafe ways um, to share sleep or to put infants to sleep. Um, and, you know, there's a lot more research that needs to be done around this, but scaremongering people and um, frightening them into thinking that sharing a bed with their baby is a blanket unsafe thing to do is also not right because then people just go underground with that practice um, and they end up not seeking um information and education and support about how to make it as safe as they possibly can or they might not know actually you know if you are a smoker um if your baby was born prematurely if your baby does have you know a a, a sort of undiagnosed problem that we're waiting for a diagnosis for then actually it probably isn't safe for you to bed share Um, and this is why and this is what you could do instead and this is how you can still maintain you know, closeness and proximity and nurture and all of those good things. So without shaming people and without saying, you know, um, how to sleep in a binary way, um, you know, we just have to have that open dialogue with parents, I think, so that they know um, what their options are and how to make an informed choice. And they can only do that if they've got the information they need to make that choice. That's right. And also, as you say, that we if if parents are really engaged with the science and they do understand that poor sleeping is um, a norm in uh, you know in um, you know not just mammals but uh, in the animal kingdom or uh, it, it, they, you don't want them to feel guilty that they can't do it yes uh, there are other ways of comfort and security that they can provide even if they aren't bed yes so there is as you not a binary solution and certainly not one that fits absolutely all. and i i run into this a lot um so I, I think attachment parenting and the the concepts behind it are wonderful but i do think that sometimes people can make this a really really strict and, and binary concept and you know if you're not if you're not baby wearing and breast um, feeding and bed sharing and you know you know loving every minute then you're not somehow doing the best thing for your baby whereas actually that's really not true um, and it, it does a massive disservice to um, so many parents out there who are doing a wonderful job but just have slightly different contextual circumstances so you know I'm, I'm also not a big fan of people saying as a blanket statement to any parent who's suffering with fatigue oh we'll just 
you know, bring the baby into bed with you. It, it, it'll be fine because actually it doesn't work for all families. Actually, you know, some some parents really don't sleep very well when their baby is in bed with them because they might um, be hypervigilant. They might have a very, very wriggly baby. Um, there might be something else going on. They might have a really sore shoulder and actually, you know, sleeping in that curled up C position around their baby might be really, really uncomfortable for them. So it's just, it's just not kind. I'm, you know, I think underneath everything that we should be doing with families, it needs to be threaded through with compassion. And it's not compassionate to anybody to say, oh, do it this way. That's the best way to do it. Um, because that's never yeah. going to apply to everybody. Absolutely. And it's going the other extreme. Yeah. So I uh, agree with someone who says you need to put your baby away uh, in a cot. It doesn't help parents by evangelizing poor yeah. sleeping yeah. either. I totally agree with that um, uh, premise of kind of finding a way that works. And this is why I think that your voice is so uh, important because it doesn't take that my camp your camp view and i think that's the that's a very uh place that we want new parents to be just relaxing into their parenting instinct but at the same time making sure that they've made informed decisions i want to just kind of explore you know stay on this theme of safe co-sleeping because there's obviously uh, you know so much to talk about but the one thing that came up in the questions that i got uh in response to you coming on the show was variations of my partner is not very supportive of course sleeping mm. um and how do we navigate this because on one hand is the baby on the other hand is our mm. relationship with our partner. what do you what would you how would you help parents to oh, goodness me that's such a big question and it's it's such an important one as well because um the, the, there are so many different transitions that we make in our relationships when we become parents. And I think it's very easy um, for um, the birthing person or the mother, um, however you identify, um, to, to inadvertently cut off um, their co-parent and to, um, you know, to almost become the, the, the expert on the baby to the detriment of the relationship that they have with their co-parent. And, it, you know, ultimately, um we we need to be thinking about supporting all relationships not just the parent baby relationship because you know ultimately our, our job as parents is to equip our children for um independence um when they're ready so they can go out and be you know fully functional you know emotionally regulated um intelligent compassionate humans who can go out and you know do their own thing in the world we're going to be left with our co-parent um until you know the end of our days so it makes yeah. a huge amount of sense to also invest in our co-parents and what that sometimes looks like is just having an honest conversation saying well what is it that's the problem how do you feel about you know how parenting's going how are you feeling about um you know how we've changed and how I've changed and how our relationship has changed and you know how can we hang on to the bits that are important while also accepting the things that are changed and there's nothing we can do about some of the changes that have to happen when we become parents but there may be some other things that you could adapt um, there might be some important conversations that you can have about 
you know, your individual parenting hopes and dreams and deal breakers and, you know, all of that stuff. It's so important because I think otherwise we can kind of railroad our own um, decisions without involving our co-parent, which is a mistake. And I think a lot of partners do feel sort of rejected um, and, and sometimes that can be really unhelpful and unhealthy in a, a you know, a new family relationship set up. What I'm hearing, Lindsay, is there's, um, there is talking to be done in these situations because it's never a straightforward um, decision about baby will be in bed or baby can't yeah. be in bed. It's like everything else, maybe uncover some of the deeper issues and fear and is it coming from internal fears is it externally driven um agenda by other people because what we forget is our partners too get bombarded by social media and, and media in general are told how to parent their baby it's not just you know um us so i think that what you're saying about open up that box and don't let it be just a decision of sleep it's probably deeper parenting decisions as well that's certainly been my experience so far and and I've, I've run into a lot of um, families um, where actually the, the parents um, they are working together really well but actually one parent feels um, just left out they feel like I, I, I feel useless I feel redundant because you know I've got useless man nipples and they don't work or I feel like, you know, you spend all day cuddling and stroking this tiny little human. And then when I just give you a shoulder rub, I get my arm bitten off practically. And and they don't understand that, you know, being, um, you know, physically and emotionally available for a tiny human leaves some parents feeling quite, you know, emotionally and physically touched out. But that's really hard. And it's very difficult for, for um, co-parents to not feel rejected and um you know cut off when that happens so i think yeah, there are some really important conversations that need to take place in in families and it's not as you say all about sleep um in, in fact you know i think it it um these conversations are often best had actually before a baby even arrives because they're inevitable it's it's definitely going to happen to some extent and how we handle it um, has a huge impact on our overall stress as well as the functionality of the relationship but also on child sleep because we know that when co-parents are functioning well together and working as a team actually little ones sleep better it's a, it's the weirdest thing but it's true that's that's amazing isn't it that um if you if you are worried about sleep and what's happening with your baby's sleep you need to or perhaps even look at other aspects that have nothing to do with the baby but not parenting, yeah I but do, you know yeah. what I mean it's baby and the parenting there are things that our subconscious unconscious minds pick up stay with us and kind of seep into these issues that we otherwise just single out oh my baby yeah. isn't sleeping or something and it's it, it's deeper than that and probably recognizing and uncovering those deeper um issues that that we might be kind of just walking yeah. around with yeah that's certainly been my experience you know a, a lot of people think that you know the the skill of being you know a sleep coach is having a brilliant strategy up your sleeve it, 
it's really not you can you can google um sleep strategies i i don't make any secret of them the you know the the art of it really is understanding people and relationships and and you know facilitating um honest communication about those things and, and finding workable solutions that preserve the relationships and keep the attachments intact but also um, you know, are sustainable. And that's that's not something that you can um, necessarily summarise, which makes it less trendy um, than, you know, some of the more prescriptive sleep techniques out there. But it's also more realistic. Uh, and, and, you know, we certainly know that when we dole out prescriptive schedules or strategies and one size fits all techniques, you know, it, they only work for a small percentage of people because, of course, you know, people come with all their um, you know their issues and their variability and all of that stuff their uniqueness which is which is what makes us wonderful isn't it but it also makes us complicated yeah I mean I I, I hear you completely because this is again the same thread that runs into mm. my professional world in terms of getting parents to think about or pregnant women to think about physical yeah. activity movement all of those things what it's not about which class you attend or whether I like Zumba or yoga. It's really about, you know, what can we do within the circumstances you have so that we can facilitate a bit less of sedentary behavior that will look very different to different people. So I totally get it that this obviously it holds true for sleep yeah, as well. Absolutely. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. And now, back to the show. Do babies sleep through the night, Lindsay? Oh, oh boy. Well, um, we could definitely talk about this particular subject all day long um i think first of all it depends how you define it because um i've met some parents whose babies just snuggle in next to them and um you know their parents wake up in the, the morning and say well you know i've no idea my baby may well have helped themselves to the all-night snack bar in the night but neither of us really woke up and i feel like i've had a full night's sleep so is that sleeping through the night or do we go to the um, 1957 definition, which is um, five hours? Um, so there was a paper that found um, that 70% of three-month-olds were sleeping through the night, which was five hours. But even that paper found that the vast majority of those babies resumed night waking um, by six months. So it really depends what definition you use, but it's definitely normal. Um, for babies in a broad sense to still be waking up at night um, until 18 months and beyond. Um, so when you look at really large population level data, um, that there have been a number of studies that have found that um, little ones wake up anything from one to three times. And that's the, the broad average in the six to 18 month category. But um, within that data set, of course, there are babies who are waking up five or six times a night. And there are other little ones who are not waking up um, or not signaling anyway that they've woken up in the night. 
So it really depends what definition you use. And develop, developmentally, uh, is there a difference between babies who signal waking up and babies who just kind of, um, you know, be assume are sleeping? Are they sleeping more deeply? Are they, you know, is there a difference in sleep architecture between infants who wake up and infants who supposedly are sleeping? I'm not aware of any research study that has looked at... Um, the exact reasons why some babies seem to signal for their parents to support them in between sleep cycles and why the babies who are termed the self-soothers, so they are the babies, they still wake up in the night, but they um, have some primitive abilities to be able to fall back to sleep again. So they might suck their fingers or look around or you know make themselves more comfortable, but they ultimately fall back to sleep without parental intervention. But I'm not aware of any study that has actually um, looked at the um, individual characteristics of those two types of children. Um, I, I mean, I can guess that it's something to do with their autonomic um, nervous system and, and the fact that some little ones just seem to be on much more high alert than others. And that's not necessarily something that you can prevent um, but definitely some little ones seem to go from zero to 60 really, really quickly, whereas others are just really chilled, aren't they? And they lie there gurgling and <laughs> they're just um, more placid. And, and that's not necessarily something that we as parents have any influence over. So, it, I mean, I'm guessing that unless you, you know, spend a little bit of time, a few months with your infant, you wouldn't really be able to kind of pick on these little uh, differences. Um, how do parents then navigate, say, for example, that they, uh, they do have an infant that tends to wake up more often, but maybe their preference is to not have the snack bar open all night. Mm. Are there things that they can do to understand that their infant just needs that support and they can put certain things in place? Yeah. Not the other, you know, I mean, then there is the other element of, you know, a new mom. Uh, you can imagine a cafe full of few few new moms and just talking about sleeping through the night and not talking about the slight dif individual differences of my baby is of a certain kind that tends to put himself back to sleep or, you know, all of those things. Can parents do something about the difference? Yeah, it's, it's a good question because, of course, you're absolutely right. Parents aren't going to have conversation. Well, your average parent isn't going to have a conversation about, you know, um, autonomic nervous states and, and that kind of stuff. That's really nerdy stuff. But um, I, I think most parents feel like they either got lucky or they did something um, to make their child sleep in the way that they do. And that's really natural to think that, actually. Um, but in terms of what you can do about it, I mean, I, you know, I think there's so many different things that you can do. So first of all, um, you can uh, work on understanding your baby's individual cues. And I talk a lot about this because um, sometimes as parents, we spend a lot of energy and stress trying to get little people to go to sleep who really don't want to go to sleep. And, um, you know, I think it's so important to try and learn an infant's individual um, cues rather than following wake windows or prescriptive schedules or anything like that. So that's the first thing. And that will translate into the night as well. The second thing is having realistic expectations about how much sleep little ones need and 
I, I run into a lot of people who are um, trying to get their babies to nap more in the day, thinking that that will help them to sleep longer and better at night. And often the complete opposite is true because you can only get so much sleep in 24 hours. So if you if you have five chunky naps in the day, the chances are you're going to pay for that to some extent overnight. Um, so just having a, a realistic um, uh, you know, understanding of what's normal at different ages can really help. Um, and then you know, there's an old, another whole piece here about utilising your co-parent and saying, well, actually, do you know what? I fed little one 45 minutes ago and they've woken up again. Now, of course, feeding them again is not going to be the wrong thing. You can do that. But equally, if you want to say, look, do you know what? Will you go in there and just give them a cuddle or give them a little rock or a stroke? or just, you know, um, go and pat them on the tummy or whatever, um, that's fine as well. It, it, you're okay to um, have some manageable limits to make life a bit more sustainable and to give yourself a little bit of a break and some self-care as well. That's completely normal. Yeah, and, and you know, when you are talking to other, other parents, um, understanding that, uh, as you very rightly said, that they fall into two camps, either they find themselves feeling lucky or feeling that a strategy that they used is the one that other parents should probably try. Mm. I kind of feel that that's where some of the friction in, in uh, parent friendships can arise mm. because you know that the strategy that your friend is describing is clearly you know not going to work in your situation but how then can you solve the problem that she or he has managed to solve i think that that is what you said is really important to bring about in that parental conversations that we have in the cafe that you know i mean these are individual children and we can talk about the things that work for us but having sense of um i don't know camaraderie that hey it might work for you that doesn't mean that you know say swaddling the baby works for me but swaddling the baby might not work for you or you know yeah whatever that technique is yeah yeah absolutely and i think it's especially common when people are using a particular routine um and that that's the most common scenario i think that arises because parents will um, often try a prescriptive routine and we know that for about 15 to 20 percent of the population that will work and it won't work because of the routine it will work because that's the baby's personality and temperament anyway but of course it's very difficult to understand the nuance of that so most people will credit the amazing routine with their baby's you know um, newfound you know reliable or predictable schedule um, and that's where it really rubs because if a parent tries to use that same routine so say somebody evangelizes about a particular routine or or book or whatever and the, another parent tries it if their baby falls outside of that 15 to 20 percent range um, of those babies for whom it will work the chances are their baby is going to really resist it's going to be really stressful and then at that point the parent has a choice they either persevere and I've heard parents saying, oh, yeah, we had to break our, our baby. And what they mean is they had to kind of um, make their baby fit into this routine um, or they bin it. But in binning it, they, they have to then choose whether to feel like it was the schedule that was the problem 
or whether they did it wrong or whether they weren't tough enough or whether they are somehow a failure themselves. Hi, Lindsay. Um, you've, you are, your background is a, you know, you're a pediatric nurse. You're very impassioned to bring this evidence-based information to sleep-deprived parents. Why? Yeah. Uh, I think because I, I see the stress that it causes every single day. Um, I, I first got into the sleep world as an IBCLC, actually. So I, I've been in IBCLC um, for 10 years, um, but I've been supporting breastfeeding and responsive bottle feeding families for a lot longer than that. And what I noticed very, very early on is whenever there's a family, there's always multiple things that they're concerned about. And there's usually a feeding concern, but more often even than a feeding concern, there's usually questions and dilemmas and, you know, um, concerns about sleep. And I, I just see the stress it causes. I, I see the stress that the myths and the confusion and the prescriptive schedules cause every single day. I, I literally get inundated daily by people who are worried. They think they've you know, screwed it up. They think that their baby's broken. They think they've followed the wrong technique. Uh, they think that they've you know, made the proverbial rod for their own back, all that kind of stuff. And it, it actually breaks my heart because um, most of the time, these parents who reach out are, are doing a wonderful job. Actually, they are, they're nailing it and they don't know they're nailing it. And that, that's what makes me sad. So that's why I carry on writing and speaking about it because um, I want parents to know that actually they're, they're just doing a, a good job. Um, they're, not, they're not messing it up. Absolutely. And you are doing a great job in letting parents know that because you're, <laughs> it's, so, it's, it's full of that compassion that is uh, sometimes lacking in the world of new parents, I think. Yeah, it's not about shaming people who do use schedules or who have tried, you know, control crying or whatever. It, it, it's actually just about meeting people where they are. Um, just because I don't agree with a strategy doesn't mean I can't um, have compassion for the people who use them. Yeah. And, and, and that, that shared uh, element of we all need to be compassionate with each other is something that your work really, um, you know, brings to the front. And I think that that will help parents, whether there are strategies or not. So thank you very much. And please, oh, thank you. The work that you're doing. What's the one thing you would leave us new parents with, you know, with infant sleep or anything? In particular? <laughs> the one thing that, that we should hold on to? Um, apart from the fact that um, sleep always gets better. It's very difficult to see that when you're in the trenches, but it does always get better. I think the one thing that I would say is to remember what you're in control of um, with your baby's sleep. Uh, so often people are worrying about things they actually have no control over. For example, how long their baby naps or when their baby's going to sleep through the night. But actually, if you just take responsibility for the things that you can take responsibility for and leave the rest, you'll feel so much lighter and less stressed and frustrated. Amazing. That's that's really, really great advice. And thank you so much for spending You're so welcome morning with me. And you know, I'm sure there's so many parents out there who will take nuggets of gold 
from our little talk. So thank you very much. And I could have carried on for the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Um, uh, we, we will have to connect again and, and chat all things exercise and everything else. But thank yeah. you so much for inviting me it's an honor yeah very welcome thank you again Liz. take care yeah bye bye thank you for tuning in to the mummy diaries just like everything we do at mummy yoga we want to bring you the voices from our community sprinkled with strong evidence-based information and guidance from the best in the field of pregnancy, birth and new motherhood. If you identify with this pivotal shift away from dogma, myths and received wisdom, then this modern tribe is yours. Come on in. You will find information on all the work that we do on our website at mummyyoga.com. See you in the next episode. Stay subscribed. Thank you.